Glory to God. Well, before I get into the message, I want to give you a reminder. I don't remember if we talked about this in, in the hosting or not. Um, our family, fall family experience that's happening next weekend over at the Field of Dreams in Tom's River. Now, remember, we started this a few weeks ago. We are receiving offerings. We're receiving a collection for a specific family in our church, uh, the Dobos family. Alicia's here tonight. We thank God for this strong woman of God. Amen. We thank God for the grace that's on you. We thank God for how he's strengthening you. Well, Alicia's husband, Dan, who many of you know, was in a very, very serious accident on September the 1st. He's been in the hospital ever since. Now he's in a, a rehab place up in uh, Edison, New Jersey. And uh, thank God he's coming along. Amen. Amen. Thank God he's healed. Amen. And you got weak that time. Thank God he's healed. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And he's coming, coming around. Now, we're receiving an offering for this family. We have been. We will continue the rest of this weekend. And then next Wednesday night also. And then next weekend, uh, we will all join together. Uh, we pray that you, you will come to the Field of Dreams there in Tom's River. You see the card on your, on your chair? Let me see you wave it. Let me see you wave it. Don't, I hope you're still not sitting on it. All right? The details are on that card. Now, if you want some more of these, if you want to invite some people, uh, we have plenty in the lobby. You can just ask one of the people out there at, at the front desk, and they will give you as many as you want. Amen? Amen. This is important. Now, right now, I want to receive the offering for tonight for the Dobos family. You guys have been extremely generous. You've been faithful in this. This is a time when the church really proves that it's a family. Amen. Okay? I'll say it again. This is a time when the church really proves that we're a family. Amen. We talk about it, but this is a time we put some action to it. Amen. All right? You can give for this in this offering here in person with an offering envelope. You can do it uh, any other method that we use. You can go online. You can go on a website. You can, go, you can text. You can do what you normally do for any of the giving. And uh, we are going to see an amazing outpouring of God. Uh, we're seeing it already. And I, I do not want this woman over here to be concerned about anything financially. I want her only to be putting her energy out towards taking care of her husband. Amen. Amen. So if you have not yet done anything, I'm, I'm praying that you'll do tonight, that you'll give something, whatever it is. Nothing is too small. Certainly nothing is too big. Amen. Amen. And so if you are making out a check, you make the checks out to New Beginnings at the end of our offering time uh, in another week and a half or so, and we'll take the entire amount and then present the Dobos family with one check. If you're doing it online, go ahead and do it online. Amen. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you touch the heart of every individual here. Lord, just prompt each one of us, Father, to do what you desire for us to do. Because we know, God, when we all are obedient to your voice, when we're all sensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice on the inside of us, that no matter what we give, it's all going to come together. And at the end, it's going to be exactly what you know is needed. And so we trust you for this. Father, I pray blessing upon every household here tonight. Father God... Uh, we know that there's some here tonight that would want to give and want to give and just do not have the finances right now. Father, I'm praying for a miracle, a twofold miracle, Father. I pray that you bring extra finances into somebody's home in these next couple of days, Father, that extra finances will come in and they'll know this is for the Dobos family. And it'll be twofold miracle. Not only would it provide for the Dobos family, but Father, it will show them. They will know that you're very much aware of the things that go on in our, in, our, in our lives and that you are the one who provides all of our needs. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise God. Okay, so ushers, go ahead. Pass the buckets around. Amen? Don't forget, don't forget next Sunday at 3 p.m. Make sure that, and, and, and those of you that are on Facebook, how many people are on Facebook? Don't lie. How many people are on Facebook? <laughs> You know who you are. Well, I know who you are because I'm probably friends with you. When you see our, our little ad pop up, share it. Share it as much as you possibly can. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Does anybody else know what's happening on Sunday afternoons at 3 o'clock? Yes. What happens tomorrow, at, tomorrow afternoon at 3 p.m.? Amen. Iglesia Nueva Esperanza meets every Sunday at 3 p.m. That's our Spanish ministry. Amen. Amen. 
Pastor Victor Martinez has got an amazing word to deliver tomorrow. If you have friends in the Latino community, uh, family members, whoever, get them here at 3 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. Amen? Amen. Are you ready for the word? Yes. Did you come expecting? Yes. Are you going to listen? Yes. Are you going to grab hold of it? Yes. Are you going to leave here different tonight? Yes. Amen. Okay. I want to start out with a statement. As born-again children of God, we have a unique privilege among all of God's creation. And that privilege is that we have the ability to pray, to communicate with our Father in heaven. Amen. First John 5, 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, in Christ, in God, that if we ask anything according to his will, what happens? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. In other words, the list, the need. We know that we'll receive that when we ask according to his will because we know he hears us. Amen? Amen. So, and the fact that he actually hears us should cause us to want to pray morning, noon, and night. We're not praying to dead idols. We're not praying to, to statues of stone. We're not praying to pictures. We're not praying to a tree. We're not praying to the sun. We're praying to the one who created all of these things. And it tells us in the scriptures that when we pray according to his will, he That's important because what's the use of praying if you don't think you're going to be heard? Which is the reason why many Christians don't pray. What's the use? What's the use? What's the use? Well, when you find out how to pray and pray the right way, you're going to get some answers. Amen? Amen? So the next most important aspect of our relationship with God is that he actually encourages us not only to pray, but in prayer to seek him for guidance. Amen. How many of you hate going through life with so many unknowns? Uh, it's like, and people go, well, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. And we get consumed with the unknowns, but yet God said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask it from me. Amen? Here we are in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. He encourages us to go to him for guidance. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With how much of your heart? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't do what? And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. What does it mean to acknowledge him? God, I'm faced with this situation. Now, most of us, what we do, we try to figure it out 15 different ways. And that doesn't work. Then we go, oh, maybe I should pray. What he tells us first, if you'll acknowledge me in all your ways. God, here I am. I'm faced with the situation. I'm coming to you. I'm acknowledging my dependence upon you. What happens? He said, when you do that, I'll direct your path. I love that because I've seen it happen so many times in 38 years. And all he's saying, just acknowledge me. Because see, when we acknowledge him, it shows that we trust him. And it tells us to trust in who? Man, you, you, you really backed off on that one. Trust in the Lord with uh, some, some, some of our heart. All of our heart. Trust in him with all our heart. And he'll direct our paths. Amen. Now, he's even made a promise to provide us with unlimited wisdom. Unlimited wisdom. Now, it's important for us to know this because when we're faced with situations, we don't know what we don't know. And that's a scary place to be. So when he promises us to come to him for wisdom, it's going to be an unlimited wisdom. And many times we're going to find things out that, wow, I didn't, I didn't see it that way. Oh, wow, I never considered that, that way of handling this situation. James chapter 1, verse 5. I must quote this at least a few times a week. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of who? Did he say to Google it? He said, let him ask of who? Did he say get on the phone or text your friends and tell them the whole problem? And What did he say to do? Ask God who gives to all, how much? Liberally. 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 In other words, he does, God doesn't have eyedroppers. Everything with God is overflowing. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all, all. Well, I know, I know he'll talk to Pastor Joe. No, all. All. But you come to in faith. 
without reproach, and it will be given to him. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would be our inner GPS and give us inside information, inside information. And it's inside information that we can trust, not inside information that's all over the internet. Well, I, I saw this video, and oh, I saw somebody post, and oh, I saw some. No, you, you, you don't know where that's coming from. He said, Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit will be the one who guides us, who leads us. Listen to, listen to how he introduced him in John chapter 16, verse 12. Now remember, this is, this is the night of the Last Supper. He's gonna be arrested in just a couple of hours after this, was, this incident took place. He's gonna be on trial. The next day, he's gonna give his life in an excruciating, horrible execution on the cross. And this is what he said to them. I still, I'm talking to the disciples at the Last Supper. Amen? I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Yes. However, when he, say he, he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all what? Truth. truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And here's, here's, here's the thing that's really, really important. And he will do what? He will tell you or show you things to come. Now, that's important. I want us to hone in on that for a little bit. Okay? It's not, this isn't the message, but every time we get to this scripture, I like to hone in on this. You and I do not have to go through life ignorant. Amen. You and I don't have to go through life. In fact, nothing should take us by surprise. Why? Because you got the Holy Spirit living inside you. If you are born again, if you have received Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior, his spirit comes to live inside you. He's the spirit of God. He knows everything. Now, if we will listen, if we would get rid of some of the clutter in our minds, if we would stop getting distracted by so many things, we'll hear from him, and he'll direct our path. Amen? Amen. So, with all that I just talked about, if we have so much at our disposal, why is it that we still don't pray? What happens when we insist on marching forth into our future without taking the time to pray, just going in on our own strength? What happens to us? I want to bring you an incident that's recorded in the Old Testament in the first covenant that I, I believe if we'll take a hold of this and, and just, just walk through this together, we're going to see some we're going to come out of this with an incentive to not let what happened to these people happen to us. Amen. Amen. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul said about the Old Testament, or as we like to refer to it as the first covenant. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. These things, now if you go read it in context, he just stopped, he just, he's just in the middle of talking about the Israelites as they conducted themselves in that wilderness as they were heading towards the promised land. You can go read it for yourself. These things happened to them as what? Examples, Examples to who? Uh -huh. For us. They were written down to warn us who lived, this is it really interesting, who live at the end of the age. So this particular, this thought, this lesson, this, this warning is specifically for us in the season and the time that we're in right now. We are in the end of the age. Things are about to shift and change drastically. And there's going to come a time very shortly that things are going to change. Life will never again be the same on planet Earth. And so now is all the more reason why the church, the people of God, the body of Christ, needs to learn the examples leads to learn from the examples that were set for us in the Old Testament. Why? We don't have a lot of time to make stupid mistakes. Amen. There is an urgency right now. You and I have got to come to the conclusion and settle on that conclusion, just not come to the conclusion and let it pass by, that God needs us right now more than ever to be walking according to the word 
walking in love, walking with a bold witness to those who don't know Christ yet. Why? We are in those days just like before the ark saved those eight people on the earth. Because once that ark was shut closed, nobody else could get in it, and the floods came and destroyed everything on this planet. We are in that same time frame right now. We've got to get, Jesus is always symbolic of Noah's Ark. He is where we take our refuge. Amen? Amen? Amen. And we've got to get as many people into that refuge. We've got to get as many people in Christ as possible before time runs out. Always goes over very big. There's coming a day, and it's coming soon that things are going to change drastically on this earth and you don't want to be here for that. And the only way we, we, we escape that disaster is to be in Christ. He will always protect his people. He always rescues his people before disaster comes. Amen? Amen. Let me get back in my notes because I don't want to get off here. All right. So we're going to go to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. Now, let me give you some background. By the time we come to Joshua chapter 9, here's what's happened. The land of Canaan, the promised land, is being conquered by the Israelites. Remember, the Israelites came out of Egypt. Remember, Red Sea, Ten Commandments. You, you, you remember? Yeah. Okay, so now, now Moses is gone. Moses has passed away. Joshua is the one now who's going to bring God's people into the promised land. And... Uh, in the wilderness on their way there, they killed two great kings and defeated two great armies. One of them was, was named Og, king of Bashan, like that means anything to us. And Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and you can look that up in Numbers 21, they defeated two major armies. Now, mind you, this is, this is, these are slaves that came out of Egypt. Yet with the power of God on their side, they defeated two major armies on their way to the promised land. Okay. They miraculously crossed the Jordan River. That's in Joshua chapter 3 and 4. They supernaturally conquered Jericho. That's in Joshua chapter 6. You remember what happened in Jericho? The walls came down. Amen? So now, as a result of, of this chain of events, Israel, the people of Israel, they know with certainty that God is on their side, that he has, he's, he's with them as they prepare to conquer the rest of the promised land. In other words, everything has been going exactly the way God said it was going to go. Now, Joshua chapter 9 records what happens next. And here's the thing. I'm making, maybe getting a little bit ahead of myself here. I don't know if you realize this. There's more danger when we succeed than when we fail. Because when we succeed, if we're not careful, we start thinking, we got this. I can handle this. Situation comes up, we just go, well, you know, this is the way we handled it next, last time. Let's handle it that way this time. And we let our guards down. How many know what I'm talking about? We let our guard down, okay? See, see when, you're, when, you're, when you're in the struggle and you're in the battle, you're more dependent on God. When you come up on the other side, some people can't handle victory. Some people cannot handle success. They're not ready for it yet. And so listen to what happens here in Joshua chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things. Now, understand this now. A little geography, very short geography lesson. When they came out of Egypt, they headed in towards the promised land, but they headed, they went east. And you have the Jordan River that kind of runs alongside even present-day Israel. So you would think that they went from Egypt straight along the Mediterranean and went into the promised land. They didn't. They went, they wandered around for 40 years, ended up on the other side of the Jordan. So when they're coming towards the promised land, they're coming from the east heading west instead of coming the short route. Okay? So now when all the kings west of the Jordan, because now there's a whole bunch of different nations where today would be modern-day Jordan, modern-day Syria, all of these areas today, okay? So they have these kings that were in the hill country and the western foot, foothills and along the entire Mediterranean coast, uh, Mediterranean Sea 
as far as Lebanon. And these are the kings of, of here's the tribe names, Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Havites, Jebusites, all these different people groups who God said you have to dispossess them. It's not their land, it's your land. And when you're going to your personal promised land, there are going to be things that you have to dispossess out of your life in order for you to take hold of the plan of God. Amen. Amen. If you've if you, if you, uh, not been here on Wednesday nights, you're missing out on that because on Wednesday nights, for the past seven weeks, we've been studying the book of Exodus and we've been talking a lot about this stuff, okay? So here's what happened. These kings got together and they said, okay, the Israelites are coming. We need to defeat them. Because they knew what God had said to the Israelites, that these people have to get out of land. So they're going to try to fight. Are you getting this? Yeah. Now, remember, you know the story of Jericho, that Joshua sent spies into the city of Jericho before they got there. And these spies met a woman named Rahab, whose house in the city was literally built into the wall. The walls of Jericho were wide enough where two, where two chariots could be side by side. That's how wide these city, these city walls were. They were very high. They were very strong. In the wall were actual apartments built from the inside. And this woman's apartment was built into the wall. She met the spies. She hid the spies in her house and then let them escape from, escape from there to go back and give a report to Joshua of what was going on. Now... Do you remember what this woman Rahab said to the spies that Joshua sent to the city? Joshua chapter 2. So we're going back a couple of chapters now. Before the spies laid down at night, she went up on the roof. She had them go up on, their, on her roof where she had stacks or stalks of uh, flax and all these other types of, like today we would say like corn stalks, stuff like this. And she hid them underneath these stalks. And she said to them, I know that the, now they're Israelites. She's a resident of Jericho, a pagan idol worshiper, okay? I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. And God said to them, I will put the fear of you on those nations, okay? Verse 10, I love this. I love this because watch this now. She's going to talk about something that happened 40 years before. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. When did that happen? 40 years previously. They're still talking about it. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon, those two major kings, and uh, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Next verse. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God. Now that, she's going from a pagan idol worshiper to a believer in the God of Israel, right? For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. How do we know that she's shifted? How do we know that she's, she's converted? Because the same principles applied back then as now. She confessed with her mouth what she believed in her heart. You got it? For yes. we know that the Lord, 40 years later, the people of Jericho are still talking about what God did for the Israelites. That's major. Now, let's go back to Joshua chapter 9. So, we know this, that all of the inhabitants of this land are quaking. They're shaking. They're afraid. And when you're afraid... Sometimes you'll do desperate things. Amen? Watch this now. Verse 3. Now remember, all those kings are going to, they've come in together. They're going to attack Joshua and the Israelites. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon, now Gibeon is the name of the town, but the people are the Hivites, which are the first ones that are mentioned in that list that were going to come against Israel to destroy them. You get this? But when the inhabitants of Gibeon, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, not artificial intelligence. Uh, really, we should pronounce that uh, uh, E, it would be pronounced in Hebrew. When the inhabitants, watch this now. 
They worked craftily. Who did? The people of Gibeon. They said to themselves, oh, no, we're not going to end up like the Egyptians. And we're not going to end up like the people in Jericho. And we're not going to end up like the people in Ai. Okay? They worked how? How did they work? And, and what, did, what does the Bible say about the serpent? He was the most crafty. Oh, well, okay, so, so we know what's behind this. They worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. Now, what does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents another kingdom or another nation, right? And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all of the bread of their provision was what? Dry and moldy. And went to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Covenant. A covenant is a contract with spiritual consequences. See, we're used to, in our culture, we deal with contracts that only have a legal consequence. You buy a house, you sign a contract that you're going to pay the bank a certain amount of money every month. If you don't pay that, after three months, what happens? They say, well, you had a contract, you signed the contract, you promised to pay this, you're not paying it, so we're taking the house. Okay? Yes or no? You buy a car, you can't make the payments on the car, what happens? They take the car back. But you signed the contract, right? So it only has legal implications. Now, they can't kill you or put you in jail because you didn't pay your mortgage. Some of you better say, thank God. (laughs) Okay? My wife and I know what it's like to be in that position, okay? But they can't kill you. And they can't, and and you you, you don't end up in hell because you didn't pay the mortgage on on your house, okay? In other words, it has legal implications, but not spiritual implications. Yes or no? But a covenant, it's a contract with spiritual consequences. It cannot be broken without bringing a curse upon the person who breaks it. Okay? Covenant is very different than a contract. God, listen to me, God honors covenant. All right? I don't have time to go into that much more than that. So so now verse 7. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, or the Gibeonites, perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? Now, remember this, God had told them to eliminate all the inhabitants of the land so that Israel would not be lured into following their customs and their sins, especially idolatry. And all of those nations that, were, that needed to be dispossessed were involved in horrible, degenerate practices. Idolatry that always accompanied and always included massive sexual immorality, okay? So God wanted them out of the way because he didn't want his people to be affected by that stuff. Verse eight, remember, they came to him, they dressed up, old clothes, old shoes, moldy bread, uh, old wine skins, okay? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. That's covenant language. They're saying, we come and present ourselves to you. We're submitting ourselves to you. And Joshua said to him, who are you? And where do you come from? Verse 9. So they said to him, from a far country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. What, what, they did good there. They acknowledged who God was, right? For we have heard of his fame. Whose fame? His fame. And, what, and all that he did in Egypt. Next verse. And all that he did to the two kings. Here we go again with the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. That signifies idol worship, okay? Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, talking about Joshua and the people of Israel, we are your servants, now therefore make a covenant with us. Verse 12. Here we go. Here comes the big show. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now, look, it is dry and moldy. What what did they want Israel to do? Look at the bread. Say that, please. 
look at the bread. They're presenting this as evidence. Don't, 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 don't tap out on me now. Please just stick with me. And these wineskins, which were filled new, and see they are torn. Now, uh, remember Jesus talked about wineskins? Yes. Well, back then, and I'm sure in certain cultures now, when you made your wine for the year, okay, you would put it in a fresh, new wineskin so that when the wine ferments, it would expand and blow that, that, that usually was a goat skin or something they would sew together and tight and so keep it, uh, to keep the wine contents from not spilling out. But as the wine fermented, the wine skins, which were new and fresh, would expand with them. But at some point, they get all dried and cracked, and they're trying to prove, yeah, we put this wine in when it was fresh. Look how it got now. Okay, you getting this? Are you getting anything tonight? All right. And see, these are torn. These are our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Next verse. Then the men of Israel, here's the mistake. The men of Israel took some of their provisions. Look at this. Read it with me nice and loud. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. They looked. They handled the evidence. They, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but look, well, look at me, look at me. They looked at the natural, but they didn't take counsel from the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. So now they put themselves now in covenant before God with these deceivers. Why? What did they not do? They did not seek counsel from the Lord. They didn't take time to pray. From the outward appearance, it would seem that these people were, were from very far away. But outward appearances are not something that you and I are supposed to be led by because the devil is a liar. So, it happened, verse 16, it happened in the, in the three days after they had made a covenant with them, that they, the Israelites, heard that they, the Gibeonites, were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Wait one second here. With so many promises from God to hear us and answer us, to lead us and to guide us, to give us unlimited wisdom, we read the saddest statement in chapter 9, they did not ask counsel of the Lord. The fact is, they actually lived only 20 miles away. Now, to their credit, they feared God of Israel. They knew that they would be defeated. They knew that their fate was going to be the same as those kings that were destroyed and the people of Jericho. So, verse 19. Then all the rulers said to the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we cannot touch them. This is what we'll do to them. We'll let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath we swore. That's covenant. A covenant cannot be broken without some type of curse coming on the individual, some type of punishment coming on the individual. There is an effect that takes place when covenant is broken. So, they become servants to the nation of Israel. But watch this now. Well, you can say, well, this might have been a good deal. You know, Joshua, after all, now has got this whole group of people now that are going to be their servants no, you don't understand this. They got the good deal because now Joshua, because of the promise he made before God, is responsible to care for these. He's already got 3 million people to be responsible for. Now he's got the, the population of another city that he made a promise to before God, I'll provide for you, I'll protect you. And what happens? The other kings who were supposed to come together with the Gibeonites to attack Israel, find out that the Gibeonites made a covenant with Joshua. And what do you think happens? They, all of those kings and all of their armies decide, we're going to wipe out the Gibeonites. Guess what happens? The Gibeonites come to Joshua and go, they're going to attack us. What are you going to do about it? You listening? They got themselves in a horrible situation because they, they can't say, well, you're on your own. You deceived us. No, God held them accountable for the mistake that they made. You listening to me? 
And now they become responsible for something that God never intended for them to be responsible for. So, let's make it personal. So many times we fail to seek God. We ignore that inner check from the Holy Spirit on the inside, and we end up, listen, and we end up having to live with the consequences. And I hear this all the time. But pastor, the job seems so good. It just seemed like too good to be, too good to pass up. Big raise in pay, great working conditions. And then you find out that it's not what, it, what you thought it was. Because you looked at the natural, you looked at the numbers, you looked at the work conditions, but you didn't ask God, am I supposed to be in this job? Yep. But, but he or she, they seem so nice. They just seem like such nice people. We had so much in common. They're so hot. <laughs> and what happens? It turns out to be a disaster. They're almost never the people you think they are. You know, if I move out of state, I can get so much of a bigger house for half the price. The taxes are so much less. That's fine, but is, is, God, is it God's plan for you to move? If he's a provider and his resources are unlimited, you don't think he can take care of you wherever you are? And here's the best one. It seemed like a great investment they look like such honest people. That's, that's one of the ones that really hurts. So again, we make decisions without seeking the Lord. We end up carrying responsibilities that God never intended for us. Now, God required Joshua to keep his, his part of the deal. He made a promise before God. So let me ask you this question. What are you having to care for, protect, provide for that may not ever have been God's plan for your life. Don't, don't squirm. We, we, we've all been there. We've all been there. And it's not too late to ask God to forgive you. It's not too late to get caught up from a lack of prayer. It's not too late to resensitize yourself to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. He'll give you the grace to bear up under the weight of that decision and will teach you for the next time. Best example I can give you, real life. You want real life? Because yeah. sometimes we read things in the scriptures and we go, well, you know, I don't know how that would apply to my life. 1990? No, 1986. When did we move to Seaside? 86. 1986. I had this idea in my head for years. The, in fact, one of the reasons we moved to this area of the state was because I wanted my children to, be, to grow up at the beach, at the beach. Now, we made it to Bricktown. <laughs> but it's not the beach, okay? So, 1986, I come up with this plan. And I, I, I would have bet my life that it was a plan that came from God. And I won't go into all the intricacies because we had a business here in town at that time, good, very prosperous business. And uh, we owned a home just a few blocks away from here, back here in Lake Riviera. And uh, by that point in time, the house was worth a lot of money compared to what it was when we first built it. So my idea is we're selling that. I'm going to build a house in brick. At that time, we had opened our restaurant. We were going to have this house by the restaurant in brick. And I'm buying a piece, I'm buying property, real estate in Seaside Park, and we're going to live there in the summer, and my boys are going to be raised at the beach, and they're going to have sand in their toes, and my wife's going to be able to just go, I'll go work in the restaurant, I'll come home, and we'll have spend time together a little bit. So now I'm, I'm intent that this is what's going to happen. We're buying a house in Seaside Park. We find the house, the realtor brings us to go see it. I'm walking around, oh, man, this is, this is awesome. This is our dream. Our dream is coming true. Dream is coming true. One block to the ocean, one house to the bay, okay? Best location in the area, all right? We move in. 
You, some of you have heard me tell the story already plenty of times. You could probably tell me the story. I come home one night from the restaurant, which was on the other side of Brick, drive down, drive to Seaside Park, go in the house, and my wife says to me, I baked a cake. And she pulls this cake out, and this little round nine-inch pan. It's only one problem. The cake is all on one side of the pan, and there's this much on the other side of the pan. It's all lopsided. And she says to me, I think we got a problem. <laughs> the house is crooked. In fact, crooked would have been an improvement. The house was literally caving in from the middle, okay? Now, I did one smart thing before I bought the house. I called my father, who was in the construction business, and I said, Dad, please come and look at this house with me. He thought I was crazy for buying a house by the beach, but he said, everything looks okay. I call him up. I said, Dad, you need to come down here. What's the matter? I said, come down here, I'll show you. I said, come down. Now, by this time, I had walked through our house. Now, our house, the house that we lived in was three stories. Bottom was an apartment. Our apartment was the second and third floor. And there was another house behind us that we could rent, okay? So now, after I saw the cake thing, I had taken a marble from, from my kids, put it on the table, and the marble went, no hesitancy. <laughs> my father comes in. By this time, I go in the, and this was an old house. It was built in the early 1900s, okay? And we looked at the, how many of you know the old short house that had the big, um, mold, what do you call that molding there? Like crown molding? Crown molding. And I'm looking, and there's about a two-inch difference between the crown molding and the ceiling. And my father, thank God, because if I didn't call him, he would have told me it was my fault for buying the house. And he said, how did this happen? We looked at this, and it wasn't this way. I said, Dad, there's, there's um, what is that? Jacks. I said, the guy we bought the house from put jacks in the wall and cranked up the main beam of the house. The, by this time, I found out what happened. The main beam, I was cracked in three different spots. And my father went like this. <laughs> we, now, now, let me backtrack. When he came to put the offer on this house, my wife refused. She said, there's something not right. I got this major headache. I don't want to buy this house. And I'm like, sign this paper right now. <laughs> I said, no, you don't understand. This is my dream. Our kids are good. Look, there's, if, if any of you are familiar with Seaside Park, you know where the playground is yes. on the Bayside? Yes. Okay, where the pier is? Yes. We lived right I said, look, the kids are going to, they're going to play in the playground right there. We're going to cram on the dock. They're going to walk to the ocean. Sign this paper right now. No, I got a major migraine headache. Barb, sign this paper right now. What did I do? The Israelites looked at the dried bread. They looked at the worn out shoes. They looked at the worn out wineskins. I looked at the beach a block away, the playground around the corner, the crabbing dock, and put us in a position that eventually led us to total bankruptcy. Because the fact of the matter is the house was caving in, not from the middle out, it was caving from the outside in. Spent all the money that it was supposed to build another house with to salvage this piece of property, this house. And that eventually led to, it snowballed into this uh, the next thing we know, we're in Trenton signing paperwork for Chapter 11, okay, and which led to Chapter 7, total bankruptcy. Why? I looked at the natural. I didn't stop to think, well, my wife hears from God just as much as I do. Something must be wrong here. Now, I know you could tell the same story just to put different details there, all of us have done things like this to some magnitude or another. But the truth of the matter is, we need to learn, like Paul said, from the mistakes of the people in the Old Testament. And here's what ends up happening. We get, let me, let me, go, let me go into these scriptures here. Because the truth of the matter is, yes, there is forgiveness. We can go and ask God for forgiveness, and I did. And God turned the situation around for us. Okay? We can 
repent. What does repent mean? Turn around, go in a different direction. God is merciful. And Hebrews 4, 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I remember praying to God going, I'm sorry I got us in this. But I didn't do this because I was greedy. I genuinely wanted my kids to grow up at the beach. I mean, the biggest mistake I made that day was not listening to her. Okay, guys, not listening to her. So we have to change the way we do things. Is anybody still on board with me tonight? We got to change the way we do things. Proverbs 8, 17 says this. I love those who love me. This is God speaking. And those who seek me, what do they do? Diligently find me. Jeremiah 29, 13. Well, everybody loves Jeremiah 29, 11, but we don't look at 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. This is an important one. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Okay, leave that up there. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Here's how I want you to see this verse. Seek the Lord, go ask counsel of him before you get so distracted with everything in the natural. Because once you get distracted with everything in the natural, it is extremely difficult then to walk back. You listening to me? The Israelites looked at the dried bread, moldy bread. They looked at the worn out shoes. They looked at the wineskins that were all cracked and leaking. And they got so caught up in what they were seeing, they didn't bother to ask the Lord. What areas in your life have you gotten so caught up with that it's almost difficult, if not impossible now, to hear from God because your eyes and your mind is completely overtaken by the things that you've seen in the natural, especially with relationships, especially with relationships. Again, we're going to close, but I want to remind you of this. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. You don't have to put it up. I'm just going to read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. We don't have to make the life-altering mistakes that we sometimes make. We don't have to do that. If we'll just follow the path and follow the pattern, follow the instructions that the Lord has given us. You know, the Bible is the most practical book that's ever been written. And the devil has caused people to over-spiritualize it so that we go, well, that doesn't really pertain to today. It's extremely practical. Could you say that, please? Practical. Now, I'm going to close with this to show you how practical. The greatest miracle that will ever take place in the life of an individual, any human being, is to go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. To, To get off the path of going to hell and get on the path of going to heaven. And look how practical God made it. Religion says, you have to do this, you have to give this away, you got to do this, that, and the other thing. Now, certain religions, you got to travel to a mountain someplace and find a special rock, do some kind of crate, give all your money away. God says this, practical. If you will just declare with your mouth what you believe in your heart as it pertains to the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Practical. Practical easy because it's all about faith God's not looking for us to try to earn our salvation it's impossible for us to do that you may be a much better person than I am but you know what when we both compare ourselves to Jesus we're not going to make it because all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's standard are you listening to me the most practical thing that God has ever done for mankind is give us the ability to get off of that path going to hell and to give us the ability to make sure that we know that we know that we know that when we take our last breath on this earth, we will immediately be in the presence of God. And all it is is about declaring with your mouth. In other words, we speak something. And what do we speak? Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I trust you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins.
I thank, I'm so glad that you rose again from the dead because you rose from the dead. That means I will raise from the dead and have everlasting life. I trust you. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord, be my Savior. So practical. So practical. So, so listen, I don't want to assume that everybody that's in here is already on that, gotten off the path going to hell and is on that path going to heaven. So could you all stand up, please, and let's say this prayer together before we leave tonight. Pastor, what do I need to believe about Jesus? That he's the son of God. That he died on the cross to pay for our sins. That God raised him from the dead. Amen. Amen. And we declare with our mouth our faith in the Lord Jesus. So say this with me, please. Everybody here nice and loud. Father, Father, I believe believe that Jesus Jesus is the Son of God. God. I believe believe that he died on the cross cross to pay for my sins. And I thank you you that you raised Jesus from the dead so that I could have everlasting life. I receive... I declare my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ right now. I declare he's my Savior. I declare he's my Lord. And I thank you for making me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give it up for those that prayed that tonight. Thank you, Lord. Now listen, listen. I know there's some of you that prayed that prayer tonight for the very first time. I know that. And listen, it's extremely important that you tell somebody, I prayed that prayer tonight for the first time. Now, here's what I'd like you to do. When everyone else is dismissed, there's going to be people up here. Those of you that prayed that prayer for the first time tonight, or if you prayed that prayer tonight to rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, please don't just walk out the door and go away. Don't do that. Come up here and say, I prayed that prayer tonight. What do we want to do? We want to put a Bible in your hands. We want to give you a Bible. We want to, get, we want to help you start on this journey of yours and this great adventure now that you have with God Almighty, the creator of the universe, who love you so much that he made sure you were here tonight to hear this message and to hear about his love and his faithfulness. Amen? Amen. So please, if you prayed that prayer tonight for the first time or you prayed it to rededicate your life to the Lord, when everyone else is dismissed, There'll be people coming up here. If you need prayer for anything, you can come up. Come up, tell them, I prayed that prayer tonight. We want, to, we want to give you a Bible, and then you can leave and go home and sleep the best sleep that you've had in a long time in Jesus' name. Amen? So come on up, those of you that prayed. The rest of you, God bless you. If you need prayer for anything else, come on up.